So I'm Writing a Novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also interview special guests, and when people send them in, I'll answer listener questions. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. I'd like to say a quick thank you to our Patreon supporters who make this show possible. Patrons receive perks like the monthly breaking down all the numbies, which is my dumb word for numbers sometimes I like to use. Breaking down the numbers of writing progress month to month, which almost always entails some reading recommendations related to the genre of the book, and a little bit of text at the end because I can't help myself, like a little blog post kind of thing, letting you know what's going on behind the scenes in some ways that I don't always share in the podcast proper. If you're not a patron already, you can check out all the other perks and exclusive content over at patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. If you're listening to this recording, that means New Edge Sword and Sorcery Issue Zero is out now. Links to purchase the magazine in EPUB slash PDF, which is free, by the way, softcover and hardcover, both at cost. So four bucks American for the softcover, 12 bucks American for the hardcover. Cheap, folks. The links to all of that are found at newedgeswordandsorcery.com, as well as in the show notes for this very podcast episode. If you haven't seen me talking about this lately on social media or in other places where I've been doing promotion for the magazine, you might wonder what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, New Edge Sword and Sorcery is a brand new sword and sorcery short fiction magazine that also contains nonfiction, including long-form interviews like the ones I do on this podcast, and articles on all kinds of aspects of the past, present, and future of the genre. Even a book review, hey, why not? I am the editor of the magazine, so the captain of the ship, the director of the film, the maybe more the producer of the film, but anyway, you get the idea. And I'm going to do a special episode where I will talk you through the whole story of me and the magazine and what's going on with all that next time. Before doing the big behind-the-scenes episode, I thought it might be interesting for you all to get to hear the voices of the authors behind the six original stories you'll find in the magazine. These six mini-interviews were recorded completely out of order across many weeks in which I was producing the magazine. I did my best to keep them spoiler-free while still making them kind of enticing and actually saying something. I hope you'll enjoy them. You do not have to have read the magazine to get something from them. In fact, I hope they'll inspire people who haven't read it to go out and give it a whirl. But if you have read the magazine, you'll probably get that little bit much more out of the experience. Hey, why don't we go over and start with Bryn Hammond. Bryn is a scholar and writer of historical fiction on Mongol cultures, amongst other things, but that's kind of her main jam. She's down in Australia, and I know her from the Whetstone Tavern, naturally. A lovely woman and a talented writer. Let's go have a word with her, and then we'll quickly move through our other five wonderful authors. And here I am with Bryn Hammond. Hello, Bryn. Hello, Oliver. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you for seeing me a little bit after probably your breakfast. Hello, time zones. <laughs> Happy to be here. 
just after my walk. Ah, <laughs> so two questions, not uh, not the longest interview. First one is, so I really loved your story, The Grief Note of Vultures. Could you share with listeners what made you excited to tell that story? Was there like an image that popped into your head? Was there a piece of your research? You know, because I know you're quite a scholar of, of step cultures. What was it that made you go, oh, this is it? The crucial piece of the story came from my research and was sitting in my odds and ends of historical stories because I've been writing historical fiction for 19 years now. Mm -hmm. And it was sitting there. I've wanted to write about it for years. And this was an opportunity. A sword and sorcery story meant I can use a weird element to tell that story. And it's probably better that way rather than trying to make it a, a strictly historical story. What uh, made it better to have a fantastic element in the story? It's as though you're using imagery it's, or you're writing in a, in a metaphorical mode. And it makes it punchier. You can say the same thing, but it's punchier. It's more physical. But if every element of the story is fairly historical, it's at the historical end of sword and sorcery. And every, every piece of the story I did scavenge from my research on step cultures. So uh, the Tangut, I know nothing of them, and I gather that their culture in particular uh, flowed into this tale. Is there anything you'd like to share with us about that? Did I even pronounce that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, my historical um, novels about the Mongols and the life of Chinggis Khan. And Tangut was the first state and the last state that Chinggis himself made war in once he left the steppe. It's part of North China. Oh, okay. So what uh, element of Tangut culture uh, came through in your tale? What was it that sort of got woven in here? Was it to do with the spirit element uh, that fed into the fantastic or...? I don't have an answer to that one. That's okay. Uh, what would you like to share, if anything else? Maybe I'll go back and talk about the monsters. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> when I conceived of um, a weird element in my story, my first thought was that the monsters are not going to be the evil of the tale. My hero isn't going to slay the monster for the safety of society. Much as I love Beowulf, who does exactly that. <laughs> because she's, a, she's an SNS outsider hero. Mm -hmm. And I've been on the side of monsters since I was a kid. And my writing is always going to elicit sympathy for, for monsters. So the first thing I did was have a think about who does the bad things and why. And where the real evil is in the story. And that's more likely to be in the state and its engines uh -huh. than in the monsters. <laughs> you make me think of the uh, the Arbiter uh, statue uh, in the temple, if I remember correctly, or the one who reminded yep. uh, your hero of the Arbiters. Yep. yep. The, the local magistrate that she herself has faced. Right, magistrate, pardon me. <laughs> Oh, neat. I like that take, you know, and it's a very interesting one. It's that I, I'm sure, you know, everything's been done before, blah, blah, blah. But I personally, off the top of my head, don't have a memory of encountering that very much in Sword and Sorcery. It does tend to hew towards, you know, oh, there's a monster, let's kill it. I like that. Yeah, I, I want it to be a bit different than that. And your character is an outsider, it's true. For those who haven't read the story, 
What, uh, what made them an outsider? She's a nomad, and she's despised in her society, as nomads have been despised by settled people. Mm. And settled peoples write history. And my historical fiction has always been resistant to our received histories. I want to write it from the nomad's point of view. And in this story, I get to do that. I get to leave behind affairs of state and look at a state from the underside. In sword and sorcery, the, the figure of the barbarian has been from the beginning a, a commentary on civilizations, states and cities. And so I took a nomad and following that classic SNS tradition. Yeah, I mean, following that tradition, you know, she challenges civilization by being someone who can survive quite comfortably outside of it. It's her wisdom that the civilized people in the story are dependent on. I really liked that when I was reading through an early draft. It grabbed me right away. Definitely made it clear to us why we're following her, for example, and, and, and the, you know, her importance and the dependence they have on her. And then, as you say, meanwhile, there's the elements of, uh, well, there's monsters, but what about the state? <laughs> that yep. crop up yep. in more than a few places. No, I, I really like that. It was a big part of what made me think, oh, I'm really glad I asked for him to be in the magazine. Yeah, no, wonderful story. Well, let's not give away too much because, okay. of course, yep. it's a short story. We, 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 could, we could give it all away if we're not careful. But, uh, listener, I hope you will check it out along with all the other lovely stories in the magazine. Meanwhile, the other thing I'd love to chat with you about just for a minute, Brendan, your answer can be very short if that's all it requires. New Edge Sword and Sorcery. Now, as with so many involved with the magazine, you are a Whetstone Tavern regular. Yeah. And that's how I met you. I got to find out about you and your writing and everything. And you were there for those early rugby scrum conversations back in yeah, the bloody spring of 2020. <laughs> Figuring it all out and eventually getting to the idea of the magazine, I think by June. And I was really delighted when I reached out to you, you know, in direct messages and said, oh, do you, you know, do you think you might want to do a story for the very first issue? And you went, I've already started working on one. That made me feel so <laughs> validated. It was so nice. I'm curious, what, um, you mind sharing with listeners what it was that made you feel that passionate to have already thought, oh, I got an idea, you know, and be thinking about writing a story and hoping I'd ask. I mean, that was so nice. I am excited by your idea of having more outsider points of view. It's always been a strength of sword and sorcery. And SNS has over and over reinvented itself as to who can qualify to be our outsider hero. In New Edge, I look forward to more of that, more points of view, different perspectives on society, civilization, states and cities. And being a, a queer woman has most certainly fed into my liking for an outsider hero, even when these are written by straight blokes. And of course, I want queer writers to flock to SNS and give us give us heroes that expand the ways we think. Sword and sorcery's low stakes and private adventures feel more true to my experience as an outsider, rather than winning a kingdom or joining the forces of law and order in the end. And everybody for whom that is so, I want to read their tales. And I want them to be encouraged to join in. And I was excited to join in myself. Well, I'm so glad you did, Bryn. I really enjoyed working with you through the editing process. If there are any editors listening, uh, please uh, commission a story from Bryn. Yeah, no, I, I'm so happy to have you with us. Well, thank you for your answers, Bryn. I, this has been really lovely. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before I move on to the next writer? No, if that's enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's plenty. All right. Thank you ever so much. And that was Bryn Hammond. Okay, now we're going to hop all the way up from Australia to Northern Ireland to speak to Remco Van Stratton and Angeline B. Adams. They have been on the podcast before. In fact, they were my very first interview when they were promoting their book, The Red Man and Other Tales. All right, here we go. And here we are with Angeline Remco. Hello, you two. Hello. Hiya. Good to have you here. Returning champions, like so many working on the magazine. All right. Uh, first up, let's get into the story. What was it that got you excited to tell it? What was maybe an idea that carried you through the writing? Just, you know, give us a, give us a bit about that. Well, for years now, we've been telling stories about a trio of con artists in a world not made for them. Now, Sword and Sorcery offers a place where your characters aren't limited to success on society's terms. They can be transgressive and they can be subversive. And our characters subvert a lot of expectations about gender and disability. And we get to play with moral ambiguities as well. But because we've always had this big theme of how outsiders look out for each other, for this story, we wanted to look at it from a different angle. We wanted to explore the idea of lone survival in a hostile world and although we write with a very new edge sensibility we really wanted to imbue it with all the darkness and grit that come from the very core of sword and sorcery going back to the pulp era for us what was also important is that when um people say that sword and sorcery is only meant to be escapism you know, the old uh, introduction from the Lancer Conans uh, in these stories don't look for any hidden meaning or philosophies, you know, that's uh, old sawhorse. So we, we don't really think that works for us. We don't really think that there should be a distrust of emotional content in sword and sorcery. So it's not wrong to have some bigger truths and, you know, put yourself in the stories as well. And, you know, our story is a reflection of our own world. There are bits of our backgrounds, our worries, our experience. And in a postmodernist uh, twist, there's also a little bit about our own developing views on writing and, you know, even on new edge on the sorcery itself. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And this is right at the top of the first page. So I don't think it's spoilery, but I'll cut this if you want me to. I really enjoyed that your tale has a tale within the tale being read by the characters right at the beginning. Uh, and there's a wonderful illustration. Uh, listeners, you should go go get the magazine <laughs> if you haven't already, uh, so you can check it out uh, by Remco of Barsk. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is. Uh, I can't even remember. Bersk. <laughs> Bersk. Bersk the Barbarian. Uh, and uh, I I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love your your characters from, from The Red Man and others, of course, but there's this horrible little part of me that's just like, what's Varysk up to? <laughs> what's he got thinking about? What's he, what's he going to be doing next? <laughs> Maybe yeah. if we have to do issues one and two, we can, <laughs> who knows? I'm sure he will uh, return on uh, at one time or another. Yeah, we went for that character. Uh, we wanted to introduce Sword and Sorcery within our universe. And uh, for that, we had to go a couple of steps back in time and uh, looked at Beowulf and that kind of thing. And uh, Bersk, uh, originally we wrote it with an E and uh, we thought like, you know, it's much more sword and sorcery to make it an A with a 
what do you call it? Is it an omelette? Omelette. Omelette, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I love how also extremely true to Sword and Sorcery, again, page one, I don't think it's too spoilery, uh, immediately uh, the people uh, can, you know, consuming the story disagree. <laughs> So uh, it, it felt very uh, on point, and I loved it. And well, uh, the other thing I'll say about that before uh, we move on, I, I loved uh, Beresk. I loved the sort of mini role within the greater tale, his tale played and, and all that stuff. But I also thought you had a really deft hand at having fun with that and having fun with what you could say with that within the, the greater tale. But it never felt like cheap satire or taking the piss out of people who like sword and sorcery. <laughs> Which, you know, you go back to the late 80s or the 90s sort of period where um, there was a lot of not entirely undeserved mockery of the the sort of late end, sort of less creatively out there sword and sorcery that was happening, all the clone ends. And it's like, I read that stuff and I, I kind of go, okay, I get it. But after a while, you sort of think, well, you know, <laughs> uh, make some suggestions, do something new. Don't just go, this is dumb over and over. And that's what I really, one of many, many, many things, listener, that I really liked about your tale was that you 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 did it with so much more sophistication and fun and good naturedness. I felt, uh, you know, you were sort of little ribbing at, at, at sword and sorcery while enjoying telling a great sword and sorcery tale. So thank you both for that. I felt very privileged to uh, read the early draft, and I love uh, what we all worked together on. Uh, but you're the writers. I'm not credited. Let's make that clear. <laughs> uh, for, for, you know, for what's uh, there for listeners to become readers of, if they haven't already. So thank you for that uh, background on the story. Now, I kind of guessed from chatting with you both online that you would be into the idea of uh, New Age Thor and Sorcery. My take on it uh, anyway, that is the ethos behind the magazine and the goals of the magazine and all that stuff. Could you please share with those listening what was it? You know, when I said, hey, you want to do a story for this magazine uh, that <laughs> made you think, yeah, yeah, we do. Well, I mean, regarding the magazine, Sometimes we would sort of look at something new with a bit of skepticism. I think that all of us who write fantasy, we've seen a lot of new magazines rise and fall. So we would, as I say, often be a bit skeptical, but we know you and we know what you're doing with the podcast and with the, and with how much enthusiasm you approach the genre, but also clear sightedness. And we like the proposal that you put together a lot. But I think one of the most important things from our point of view is that you are actively seeking out diverse voices, you're actively including minority authors, and also particularly that you're putting together a structure for a magazine with a Kickstarter so that there is going to be payment. Because one of the problems that so often comes with inclusion is that so often people are told, you know, you're going to be paid an exposure. and it's one thing to say that to offers who are established, but whenever you have offers who already are coming from marginalized backgrounds, then that becomes more of a problem and it becomes more of a bar to entry and to people getting an opportunity for publication, but also getting their voice heard in a way that puts them on a par with more established offers. And so I think that what you're doing with the magazine is really being the change that you want to see in the world and doing it in a sincere way and in a meaningful way, rather than it just being sort of new window dressing on the same old ways of doing things. 
I don't have anything to add to that. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I really, really uh, appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I right from the beginning, I thought, you know, two things. First of all, I'm glad I've made, dare I say, friends in the in the sword and sorcery writing community that I can invite to work on this because inviting strangers who are um, not my fellow white guys uh, to come in and do free writing. <laughs> And be like, oh, the, the beloved exposure, people die of exposure. We've heard all the catchphrases. Didn't excite me. And um, because I don't personally know any trans authors, that's, for example, why there uh, aren't any in issue zero of the magazine. But I have absolutely every plan to rectify that going forward in issues one and two when I can offer money because I didn't feel comfortable reaching out to trans strangers and saying, hey, do you want to do something for free? <laughs> you know, just to feel like I'm, you're being acknowledged. Like, that's not very flattering. I think to offer that to someone. So yeah, absolutely. I, I love this so much. I really enjoyed playing the role of editor and getting to work with talented, lovely people such as yourselves. But as much as I want to do more, oh my goodness, I want to do more. I don't want to do it if I can't pay people because it just becomes this running gag that I came into uh, interaction with in the independent film scene of, you know, hey, do you want to work for free on my short film? And if you do that, if you work really hard and you're a great guy, you know, or whoever, uh, then you earn the privilege of working on my next short film for free. What? Like, why are we? Why? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just about getting older, but I feel like I'm doing things for the sake of doing them is behind me now for the most part. Certainly when it comes to creative stuff involving writing anyways. I mean, I'll go hiking for free. <laughs> But you know what I mean. So yeah, absolutely. I really, really hope that as many people as possible uh, love Issue Zero and we can get people to sign up on the mailing list, uh, prod them when the time comes uh, for the, kick, uh, pardon me, might be Kickstarter, might be something else. We're still figuring that out right now. But the crowdfunding campaign for Issues 1 and 2, where like 95% of the stretch goals are pay bumps for the writers and artists involved. So yeah. Yeah, I, I thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, I don't know, is there anything else you want to say before we move on to the next uh, challenger? Well, you know, I would hope for you that there will be a, a rich benefactor uh, coming out of the woodwork who uh, says, like, you know, here is a very large bag of money. Make it so. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, like, uh, what are the chances of that? Maybe Neil Gaiman from uh, all his uh, newly gotten Sandman money. Neil, are you out there? <laughs> Neil? <laughs> Oliver's listening. Neil, yeah, they're Brandon Sanderson. You know, people joke but uh, about him writing the exact opposite of Sword and Sorcery. But you know what? Ten points to that guy for when he uh, got quite a large amount. I believe it was the most successful literary uh, Kickstarter ever uh, that he just did this year, and immediately turned around and used uh, a portion of his funds to back literally every single literary campaign. So, Brandon, if you're out there, <laughs> <laughs> you want to get into a, a new edge store and sorcery magazine, maybe I'm here. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, you two. And uh, yeah, um, for those who are curious, if we get to do issues one and two, uh, fingers crossed, Remcon Angeline, absolutely, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, you're on board for coming back, yeah? Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, they they shall return with a new tale. Will it be uh, their traditional characters, Redman and others? Will it be Bersk having a jolly good time or something else entirely different? We've yet to find out. All right. On to the next challenger. And with that, we leap back around the world again over to the Philippines to speak with Daryl Quiog, author of Swords of the Four Winds and, far more recently, Track of the Snow Leopard, Five Tales of Oran Timur, the Snow Leopard, Furious Swords and Sorcery in a World Inspired by the Ancient East. And lucky you, dear listener, if you haven't already, you can read a brand new original tale of Orhan in Issue Zero. Alright, let's go talk to Daryl about it. And here we are with Daryl. Hey man! Hey, hi Oliver. How are you? 
Doing well. Good to see you. Yeah, the, we, we've braved the time zone difference here. Uh, you have just barely started your day, and I am so ready for bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for second breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, unlike our last interview, my cat has not freshly barfed beside my feet, and technical errors are making me scared to stop. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, well, I just ate durian, so let's see if your cat will react to that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, let's get into our first question. I would like to ask you, someone who so kindly donated an original story for free for use in this magazine, what was the first, like, image, sentence, just feeling you got, movie you, you remember that had a cool moment? Like, what was the sort of inspiration that made you go, okay, yeah, I got a story here? And, and what kind of carried you through from that point to the end? Okay, two things. Uh, well, uh, you already know how much I am into history, right? Mm -hmm. And how uh, Orhan Timur is basically Genghis Khan dispossessed. So the idea came from, one, the tomb of Genghis Khan that scientists are still looking for up to now, right? Mm -hmm. This tomb is actually guarded by a Mongol clan or tribe that is dedicated to that purpose. And they're still there. Believe it or not, they are still there. They don't know where the tomb is exactly, but they are still in those mountains. Oh, so they're just kind of like in the in the vicinity, but okay. <laughs> yes, it, it is their sacred ancestral tradition to live there. So anyway, mm. I had that idea, and uh, then I just had this overpowering image of Orhan struggling through a howling snowstorm and he's, he should be in his tent or he should be in a cave somewhere, you know, nice and warm, but he's not because he's hungry. <laughs> he's hungry. He's desperate. He's fleeing from uh, his enemies. So I, I like having my stories begin with that kind of tension laden situation, you know, re really blast it off. Mm -hmm. And then he runs into whoops. I am now in the sacred, uh, tomb space of the very first Khan of my tribe. So there we go. So yeah, there's been another idea that uh, has been uh, going through my head and uh, it's been showing up in uh, the games that I run, in some of my stories. And one of those is that, you know, this old, old time honored uh, trope of sword and sorcery of robbing the tomb or robbing the, or robbing the temple, right? Mm -hmm. That comes across as rather colonialist. Yep. You know, for, for an Asian, you know, it, it, it feeds back into those conquistador fantasies of, uh, you know, going to the temples of uh, India or Mesoamerica and, uh, you know, looting them. So I said, okay, instead of, uh, you know, protesting about what, what about this, I'll just make a story that goes the other way, right? I'll just make stories that go the other way and, and show a different way of uh, doing it. And so... That dovetailed with the idea of, okay, here is uh, the mythical tomb of the first Khan. And instead of having to take a treasure from it, we have to return a treasure to it. Mm -hmm. So that, that one, once I had that, then everything started spinning by itself. I love that. And, and yeah, to what you said a moment ago too, as well, like that starting where, you know, immediately he's in a rough situation. And I remember when you sent me the early draft, and just the mention of his hunger, something about that just really grabbed me, I guess, because it's, you know, it's easy. We can all relate to it, right? right. Most of us aren't getting lost in, in snowy vistas. 
but yeah. <laughs> and then to, to the, what you were saying about, you know, I, I could, you know, moan or I could create something better. I love that. I really love that. That is so much at the core of what I hope I'm achieving, trying to achieve anyway, with the magazine. It's like you can go around scolding people and sometimes, maybe sometimes they need it, but by and large, you'll get such better reactions, I think, by creating something like a, a, a an appealing alternative. Right. And I think that's what the New Edge is all about, right? I think that's what New mm-hmm. Edge is all about. That's what our message is all about. So I, I hope that that uh, made it suit the magazine. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just before I hopped on here to do this recording with you. Uh, you know, I was chatting over in the New Edge Project channel on the Westone Tavern. Uh, shout out again. <laughs> do a shot, practically. I mentioned it so much. And yeah, somebody was showing like a manifesto from like a, an RPG movement called Dream that had a sub game that was all about like, you know, sword and sorcery in like a more positive light. And like, broadly speaking, I was into what it seemed they were doing, but their way of discussing it was very sort of finger waggy and being like, you know, like literally saying, you know, all the sword and sorcery is so pl- problematic, you know, and it's like, <laughs> no doubt there's issues at hand, right? I mean, that is also, you know, trying to, you know, bring forward the good stuff, leave behind the bad stuff is definitely, you know, part of the whole new edge thing. But I think when you come out with big, broad statements like that, you got to ask yourself, well, what are my goals? Because if your goals are to bring people in, that's just going to make you sound like you're saying, well, what you like is bad. Or if someone's not familiar with what you're talking about, then they're just going to go, oh, well, that sounds like a lot of work. Why don't I just try something else? It doesn't have this baggage or whatever. So yeah, like, I much prefer the attitude of saying, you know, let's let's be thoughtful when we read old stuff, but let's moving forward to create like cool, better things, perhaps that build on them, including uh, you know an alternative, an exciting you know twist on the Tomb Raider story. Exactly, exactly. B- because you know the, the surest way to make people close their ears is to scold them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as a kid, that's all. That's what we all did when we were kids. Somebody scolded us, we closed our ears. Yeah. So instead of doing that, uh, let's try to show a better example. Let's try to show an alternative. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I I feel like we're kind of segueing there anyway. So why don't we go into the second question, which is this. As I mentioned uh, only moments ago, you know, you were very kind and generous in providing an original story for us to use in issue zero here. You must have felt motivated to do so, perhaps by some of the discussions on the tavern, you know, probably in the tavern about the New Edge Storm Sorcery deal perhaps by my approach, which I pitched to you and all the other authors, uh, and perhaps hopes for the magazine. Would you mind telling anyone listening, uh, what was it that made you excited about New Edge Sword and Sorcery, the ideas, and then also the magazine that is like expressing them? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have to say it's really about the people that were involved. Um, I really liked what was going on. I, I, I liked, the, you know, that warm spirit. You get that you get a good vibe, <laughs> you know. Th- those discussions really gave me a good vibe. Ah. I-, I felt like uh, people knew what the- they were doing, what they wanted, and I agreed with these things. So, yeah, donating a short is, you know, it- if it helps to get things off, well, that's a new market for me. That's more inclusivity for the entire sword and sorcery sphere. So it's it's win win. I agree. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I, so I, you've given me some lovely answers here. Is there anything else you would like to tell listeners or add to what you said before we go? Mm, no, no, I can't think of anything <laughs> at this point. What I'm really interested in is hearing Bryn's interview because, oh. you know, I, I, I'm sure her story is more or less in the same field. Oh, yeah. One last thing, the Eagle Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, you, you know, that... That eagle came out of nowhere, no plans at all. And then all of a sudden, whoops, there he goes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, I also was a fan of that eagle in the tail. I, I hope any listeners who have yet to read it will also get a huge kick out of that guy swooping in there. Yeah, I, I wonder what Ben will think of it. <laughs> you know, I wish, I, I'm on the one hand, I'm really happy that, you know, I can say this issue is pulling from across the globe. You know, we've got Australia, the Philippines, you know, we've got a book review from uh, an author up in Japan. We've got authors in Northern Ireland. Of course, we have North Americans. And yeah, I just, I just love that so much. But it does make something very tricky that has come up, which uh, is a couple of the artists really want to meet each other, but they're on completely different continents. And they were like, what if we did a big online launch party? And like, the time zones, the time zones would be so hard. I don't know. <laughs> but who knows? Eh? Who knows? Oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll figure something out so we can all uh, have a brief uh, celebratory hang, perhaps, uh, at some point. Or maybe that's happened already. Uh, the Magic of Podcasts. I don't know if I'll be uploading this right after the magazine goes up or right before. I guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. In the meanwhile, Daryl, thank you so much for your time and for your creative contributions to the magazine. I really appreciate it. Hey, welcome, and thank you, thank you. Thanks for publishing the story. Cheers. All right, man, take care. All right, cheers, bye. Okay, now we're going to loop back around to southern Ontario, my neck of the world, for a conversation with Jam Clark, a fantasy writer and social worker who focuses on short stories, novels, and web serials in a variety of subgenres, including he has a new novel that just came out, actually, called The Mark of the Fool, an quote, epic progression fantasy series. If you don't know what progression fantasy is, don't worry, we get into that. He's also just a really fun guy to chat with and a great presence on, you guessed it, the Whetstone Tavern Discord. (laughs) All right, how about I let JM talk for himself? Here we go. And here I am with JM Clark. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Well, thank you for joining me on this, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Thursday evening, yes, yes, (laughs) as we record this segment. (laughs) This uh, this episode's all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if you've been doing a lot of work lately or something. Yes, I'm definitely getting uh, what I, I've described in at least one other interview I've done, not th- for this thing, I don't think, uh, as having editor brain, because I'm just like multitasking <laughs> so much even within the magazine, never mind the rest of my life on other projects like this podcast. Of course. That uh, my ability to remember who I've told what is shot. Uh, <laughs> like anecdotes and like details of what's going on. And then we're leaping all over geographically and time zone wise and stuff. And also we're not recording any of these on the same day. Right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> would final- do it. That would do it. I think yeah. that would wring anyone's rags out. Just completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so okay, so let's let's get let's get into it. So yes. Justin. Mm-hmm. I love your story. Oh, thank you. It was definitely the story for which I found it easiest to sort of go, I think I know the moment we're going to illustrate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, listeners, if you haven't seen it, you can actually probably see a cropped version of it on the website banner and actually the full version on the um, newsletter sign up, which if you're not already on there, get on there, man, because that's how you'll find out about future issues and the crowdfunding and da 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 But yeah, it's, it's great. It's by Morgan, uh, director of Spine of Night King. I think that's his actual legal middle name. <laughs> but that aside, that, that came later. What I'd like to ask you about, Justin, if, you, if you're down for sharing this with people is, what was the thing that got you first excited, made you go, oh, uh, light bulb moment, you know, I want to I want to tell a story about this or, oh, I think I had a few disparate things, but now this is the element that's bringing it all together. And now I'm really pumped. What was it that got you excited to tell this story? 
Well, I'm I'm going to cheat a little bit. Instead of picking one <laughs> inspiration, I'm going to pick three. But I promise I won't go on forever about each of them. So the first thing that sort of came to mind for this story was uh, was actually part of another story starring uh, Kiembe of Sengezi. It takes place a little later in his chronicle. And during that, I won't spoil exactly what he says, but he drops a couple of lines that were rather, rather, I won't say disturbing. They were rather surprising to the person he was telling them to. And I thought, you know, expanding on that would probably make for a good story. Uh, and at the same time, the second thing that came to me was actually the first line of his introduction which was death hunted kiembe of sengezi across the mountains and uh, i've always really 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 am a big fan of sort of wham lines to begin a story just something that makes you ask a question like okay what's what, what do you mean by that that sort of thing and Oftentimes, I, I can't really even get a story off the ground until that line, first line, hits me. And then things kind of scurry on over from there. And then uh, the final thing, actually, was um, there's a... I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but there's a character in the story, one of my personal favorites, named uh, Priestess to Cat. And uh, in the actual story itself, uh, there's a scene of the two of them standing within a moonlit temple, just the moon beaming in through the skylight, uh, shining on the statue of her goddess. And that was another moment that was like a crystallization and it was really these three moments coming together that made me go okay i kind of know where this story can go then from there it was filling in the mists or rather clearing the mists between the uh <laughs> that were the blanks between so that's basically how it came to be cool now you mentioned there are other tales uh, mm -hmm. are there any of them online or in other publications that listeners if they like this one they could go find more of it Oh yes. Uh, so there's a, a few places. Uh, there's a few places where you can go and check out uh, further adventures. The first would be in the Book of Blades by uh, the Rogues in the House podcast. <laughs> well, another great podcast which I highly recommend. Mm. Um, plug, plug. But uh, that one is called The Curse of Wine. Uh, another earlier story for Kiembe. The ones that uh, sort of started it all was a story called The Dreaming Scepter, which is currently published on a website called royalroad.com. It won't be there forever, but uh, the initial version is currently sitting there while it is awaiting publication with my publisher. And that was the very first story written in the Kiembe's Chronicle. And I should say Kiembe and worry, because this is less of a Conan Chronicle and more of a Fafford and the Grey Mouser Chronicle, to be honest. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. It's just that in the earlier stories, these people lived lives that were separate before they came together. So I tell the chronicles of what they lived. And this is one of them, The Vapors of Zanai. Awesome. Is there anything you can tell us or is it too soon about uh, that publisher and what's uh, happening there? Oh, well, <laughs> so... There's a there's big things going on with that publisher. Uh, first of all, uh, I've got two series signed with them. The first one, which is a working title, Oath's Blood and Coin, which is the one with the Sword and Sorcery series starring Kiembe of Sengezi, Worry of Zabiala, and others. And then I also have a rather hefty, some of your listeners might not know what this is, but progression fantasy series coming out with them called Mark of the Fool, which is due out on September 20th. So we've been working working together on both series for a while now. 
And uh, yeah, things are coming up to a headway. Editing's done on a few of the books, and audio's done on uh, uh, the first two books of the Mark of the Fool series. And we're currently discussing some edits for uh, the Sword and Sorcery one, and things are going well. They've been a dream to work with. They're they're called Athon books. Okay, very cool. Uh, now, you mentioned to me before we started recording here that you have done some voice acting. Are you involved at all with the audio there? Or? <laughs> I actually haven't done audio for uh, my own fictions or anything, though I did read a chapter for the o- online audiobook of a web fiction called Worm, which was a uh, superhero web fiction, a very, very dark take on it, but one that was very popular about 10 years ago. So I was lucky enough to do a chapter of its sequel. And then I did some uh, YouTube stuff, which I'm sure would be horrifically embarrassing. <laughs> Embarrassing at this point in time, but at the time it was a lot of fun. It was an abridged series, I, which are now really out of vogue. But uh, at the time, it was it was good fun. Oh, good. Well, before we move on to the next question, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I imagine a lot of people don't know what progression fantasy is. It seems monstrously popular. <laughs> But within a kind of niche, maybe I'm wrong. I speak as someone who is largely ignorant. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, could you sort of share with listeners what, you know, in the, the short version of what progression fantasy is and also how you've chosen whether or not to write campaign stories as either progression or sort of sorcery? Because it sounds like he's in both. Yes, uh, they sort of ride there. There are some commonalities and some uh, contrasts. So. The main sort of crux of progression fantasy is that in many sort in many sorts of fantasy, uh, there's a thrill that comes from seeing the main character, the protagonist, often growing in skill and power. Not something that you often see in most sword and sorcery. Often they, it starts off with mm-hmm. characters who are at the peak of their power. Fafford and the Grey Mouse are a bit of an exception, along with some others, but most for the most part, it's there. But for a lot of the higher fantasy and uh, those sorts of books, they start off with characters earlier in their career. So like when Conan was forced storming Venarium, for example, and it chronicles their training and rise to power, essentially. Uh, with a with If you remember uh, the Rocky films and their uh, training montages and stuff like that, how it was kind of a thrill to see him like progressing through his training and stuff, that's really what you get from it. The other thing you get is a lot of action. Most of it usually has a fair amount of fights going on, because if you're going to do your homework, you kind of want to show off in the test. So training and then showing off the result, which is where I think it and sword and sorcery have some commonalities because they both focus on that action, that force driving the plot forward. Mm-hmm. But yes. So that's uh, that's basically what it is. A fantasy that focuses on a growth in power with the details of how it is done. You know, hearing you describe that to me, and that's a very good definition. Thank you. I'm realizing I actually have read Subversion Fantasy way back at the top of this year. I was finishing off, I want to say it was called The uh, Sheep Herders or Sheep Farmer's Daughter. Hmm. And it's by Elizabeth Moon. It was from like the late 80s, early 90s. It's all about a young woman who, you know, doesn't want to get married to the sheep herder next door or whatever. And so she runs mm-hmm. off and joins the, uh, like a mercenary company. Ooh. And it's very methodical and kind of taking you through like how she joins, what's that's like, how her learning about military culture, training, obviously with quite literal training. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, first experience in battle and so on. And then by the end of the book, it sort of hints at a new path. It's like, okay, she's a pretty good soldier now, but there's like clues that she might take up religion and become a kind of paladin or something. And so, you know, that's awesome. a suggestion of a whole new ladder to climb mm-hmm. for another volume. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, okay. That's nice to know. I've actually already read something. Okay. And I think that's something that happens a lot eh, with mm-hmm. fantasy subgenre. It's like, 
people are like, what is that? I don't know what that is. And you just kind of tell them. And then they're like, oh, I've read a bunch or at least, you know, touched upon <laughs> of it. Of course. Uh, it tends to be what happens. So certainly with sword and sorcery, I find. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There are so many people out there that go, oh, what sword and sorcery? And then you go, have you, have you heard of the Witcher and Conan? And they're like, oh, I know those. And like, yeah. So many tell conversations yeah. I have like that. Yes. Um, yeah, anyway, we could talk genre all day long. It happens on the server 24-7, right on the tavern. <laughs> what is sword sorcery? And to that, mm-hmm. let's, let's move on to the other question here, which is New Edge Sword and Sorcery is the name of the magazine. It's also a term that Howard Andrew Jones coined in the 2000s as an attempt to kind of like rebrand sword and sorcery and kind of focus on like, yeah, well, I've talked about it a bunch. I'm probably at the top of this episode, and I just haven't recorded that part yet. Mm-hmm. So you know what it is. The point is, uh, <laughs> what I'm getting to, taking too long to get here, is when I approached you, you know, we chatted like a little bit on the server, and I think at that point you definitely had seen a lot of the sort of like genteel to rugby match level tone uh, conversations <laughs> that were being had over the spring of like figuring out, well, what is New Edge Sword Sorcery now? What would it be? What would we do with it? I don't know. Maybe an anthology, maybe a magazine. Oliver, do a magazine. Okay. You know, <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> but you and I didn't really like know each other. So mm-hmm. I think it's really cool and really generous of you that, you know, when I you responded positively to me, pitching to you the idea of contributing a whole new original tale to this inaugural test issue, you know, of a brand new untested magazine. So surely there must have been something about the idea of the magazine and the ideas the magazine is trying to express that made you up for that. Would you mind telling mm-hmm. listeners a little bit about what it is about, you know, the ideas in the magazine proper that like made you excited to get in on this new edge of sword and sorcery thing? Mm. Well, I find that with uh, sword and sorcery, the sword and sorcery is a absolutely fantastic and wonderful genre, but often what it suffers from is what I would like to call access and specifically people finding characters that uh, they could relate to and accessing those adventures, the sort of adventures that Conan goes on or that Elric of Melnabone goes on and stuff like that. Since the genre is so steeped in long traditions of fantasy, traditions that often were directed toward a certain kind of person, I often thought of how how wonderful would it be if uh, different sorts of people could go on these sorts of adventures. I mean, you see with the popularity these days of Dungeons and Dragons, it exploded when the hobby became more open for more people and more kinds of people in different perspectives. New Edge excited me because it was the first time I heard a term applied to a sort of new sharpened sword and sorcery that would open up access for many different sorts of people. And that's not to disparage the previous work that has been done in the genre. Like the sword and soul movement has been incredible. Mm-hmm. It's already opened a major, a major avenue for new voices, new visions to enter the genre. But I think uh, this opens it up even wider. And a lot of people will look at genre and say, well, what's the point of a new term? And there's there's an expression that uh, I uh, often hear, which is writers hate subgenres, readers love them, because it really, it it's just a shorthand for letting them know, oh, well, this is where I kind of find where I want to read. And for adventures that have the absolute unapologetic spirit of pulp, but opened up for anyone to take those journeys to those wonderful climates and those incredible locations, completely unbound. New Edge is the shorthand for it, just from the discussions that uh, I heard of in the server. And that got me very excited. And the magazine got me excited in particular, because 
I've often been part of different discussions before, and they always end up in the same way. Well, someone should do something. And then that's the end of the conversation. But a magazine, (laughs) (laughs) yes, but a magazine really is like a coalescence. It's a place where you can go and read stories that are exactly what New Edge, as per the movement, defined by Howard Andrew Jones, is all about. So that's really what got me excited. I went, oh, someone did something. Well, I, I want to jump in on that as well. Ah, cheers. Yeah, I remember when the, the, these conversations were happening around uh, late May, but somebody, I think, had shouted, do an anthology, and I was like, go to hell. <laughs> <It's a lot laughs> <of work>. uh, <laughs> but, but then I went to bed, and I thought about magazine, and here we are. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you fool. Um, but at that point, just... <laughs> At that point, a little before I said, mag- I said, well, okay, how about a magazine? But just before, I remember thinking, like, yeah, you know, we've, we've started, me and a few other people, like Kevin Beck, got his hands in, in particular, I remember uh, throwing around ideas for how to say what New Edge is in a tweet and how to say what New Edge Sword and Sorcery is in, like, a paragraph. And then there was this idea of, like, oh, and then we'll just, one, we'll have one more version. We'll have, like, a one-pager of, like, a, like a manifesto, which is a dangerous word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you know, various and sundry characters fly before your eyes when you say that. And after a while, <laughs> I, you know, I was like, maybe I'll write that one page or later. Maybe I just want to focus on, like, making, like, an expression. Because then what do you do with that one page, right? You just make a website and tell people to go read it. And mm-hmm. it's gotten to the point now where the closest thing to that is an article uh, that I put at the very end as of this moment. We're still doing layout, folks. But right now it's right at the very end of issue zero where I just kind of say, okay, you've read the whole magazine. I hope you've enjoyed it. You've at this point read Howard Andrew Jones with his definition as it originally came about and the story behind that. Here's me, the editor, the guy who's put this, you know, arranged this, uh, all these wonderful efforts by all these wonderful people such as yourself, Justin. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you what it means to me now that you had a chance to kind of absorb a bunch of the expressions of what it is. Mm -hmm. I think that's a better order, you know, let people figure it out a bit for themselves and then be like, okay, here's what I'm saying. Yes. And that is the closest thing to that one pager I, I finally ended up writing because I was like, okay, here it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Here it makes sense to put at the 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 end of of an expression of the idea, and then be like, okay, just to clarify, you know, here's how the person's theory in this particular expression of it feels about it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, having having yeah, as, as you say, it's so important to have an expression because we've all been part of conversations of one kind or another, even whether it's something analogous to the let's open this thing wide open for more people and more. And again, people were doing that before, but it's like let's put a name around it, right? Like I hope mm-hmm. once the magazine gets out, people get more of an idea of like, oh, this is what this thing is. Beyond the like the few blog posts and interviews have been up so far, mm-hmm. I hope that more people who are already doing this, because I'm not inventing it by any stretch of the imagination, Mm-mm. but who are doing this kind of thing, maybe can go, oh, that's a good name. Hey, let's get under that. Let's rally behind. Let's all join together. Let's mutually support each other. Let's lift you know all those boats up. You know, that's 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 my hope is is that. Yeah, not that I'm going to be like the savior of, 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 of lots of writers who want to get in the door but weren't sure about it before, but that I'll just be showing like, here's a positive example. Let's like laterally join up together and let's all make a bigger, better thing together. Like I, I love seeing yes. it as like a, as non-hierarchically as possible and mm-hmm. like a collaboration. Which is the way to do it, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll go on, I'm sure. Uh, but I think for now, uh, we're hitting 20 minutes and I said 15, gosh darn it, for each person. <laughs> so uh, yeah, unless there's anything else you want to share about you know, the magazine and stuff in general? or Well, no, it's just that it's uh, been an absolute uh, wonder to be part of this. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, passing out copies when it comes out.
Absolutely. Yeah, me too. I, I, I got excited. I was at my favorite secondhand bookstore, Sellers and Newell in Toronto, College Street. Ooh. And uh, I was talking to the owner and I was mentioning that I was going to do the magazine before I even got the chance to ask or say anything. He was like, oh, give me some copies to put in the window. And I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah, it just feels <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <sighs> All right, my fellow Canadian and the only person practically who wasn't in another time zone, thank you for being considerate. I'm being in standard time. Thank you so much for your time. And yes. uh, I'm sure you and I will be talking more soon. Absolutely. Enjoy the other interviews. <laughs> All right. Good night. <laughs> See ya. And with that, we are staying in roughly the same time zone, but only roughly. We're actually hopping back one hour to, I don't know, is it mountain time? Whatever you call it when someone lives near Chicago. <laughs> Which is the case with our next guest, sword and sorcery veteran David C. Smith. He got his career started during the second wave of sword and sorcery, and I was so excited that he wanted to take part in what I hope will contribute to a third wave happening. He is the author of 28 novels and numerous short stories, many of them part of his ongoing Atlaman cycle, which features his sword and sorcery protagonist, Oron. He also wrote with Richard L. Turney many Red Sonja fantasy novels, and he won the 2018 Atlantean Award from the Robert E. Howard Foundation for Outstanding Achievement book category for Robert E. Howard, A Literary Biography. He also wrote one of my favorite reads this year, the sword and sorcery novel Sometime Lofty Towers, which I can't recommend enough. Anyway, as you can tell, I'm quite fond of David, and I think you will be too if you haven't already gotten to know him after you listen to this little mini-interview. And here we are with David. Hi, David. Hi, Oliver. How are you? Doing well, and very happy to see your face again. Uh, last time we <laughs> sat down for an hour that became two hours before editing. <laughs> it became two hours. I, I remember that. Yeah, my, my family complained that I talked too much, so when I have the chance, I, clearly I talk too much. So. Well, I mean, me too, right? So that's a dangerous combination. Let's, uh, I, I was telling people, you know, well, time lived about 15 minutes. Let's see what happens, though. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Let's, here we go. It's fine. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, please share uh, with listeners what it was um, that, you know, whether it was an image, a sentence, remembering an old movie you love, whatever it was, that sort of first really inspired you, made you go, okay, yeah, I think I got a story here. And then some of the stuff that, like, carried you through, what made you excited? Oh boy, that's that's really not too hard to answer. Um, I've been writing sword and sorcery fiction for a long time, and as much as I like the old school stuff, you know, with like the lone gunslinger, the, the lone sword swinger going through their paces in these stories, you can get a variety of things you can do with that. You know, you can you can do it because it's it's like a detective story or western. You know, you can go in a lot of directions with it. But at some point, I was like bumping up against what further directions can we take this? One of them might be to um, go in the direction of different cultures and things like that, which would be fun to do. I would want to tread carefully because I'm just an old white guy from Ohio. Uh -huh. And I want to be respectful uh -huh. of situations like that, even if I make up the culture or whatever. Well, as we talked about in your interview, I thought you had a very uh, good approach to how you handle that in Sometime Lofty Towers. Yeah, thank you. No, do the research, talk talk to folks you know, who were there. Yeah, no, that was my idea. So I did that with the novel um, uh, Sometime Lofty Towers. But we, we're living in such interesting times. Mm. You know, we're, those of us who are aware are pushing borders in, in so many directions in terms of culture and gender. There's lots of room there to move in whatever kind of genre you like to write in. So why not sword and sorcery? Mm. So I had written a couple of stories 
where it was a woman who was a, a little older woman who was a witch, and the younger guy was a young swordsman. It's fun to put two characters together and watch the sparks fly or the conversation happen, you know, to see how their characters develop. They're both straight, which is not a problem. I mean, Red Sonia, I wrote six Red Sonia novels, you know, mm. and she was, she was cisgendered. But that's an area that I've, I've only approached once before in a big fantasy trilogy that I wrote. So I thought, I like the idea of having this couple who are there for each other, mm -hmm. their best buddies or whatever, like cops on the beat, <laughs> um, but she's gay and he's gay. Yeah. And so what's the big deal? You know, well, it's not a big deal. You know, it's, you know, she's well, yeah, it's not a problem, you know? but it's nice to see. Yes, it is. So, you know, it, it makes them inclusive. And it doesn't make them, you know, extraordinary or, or stand out like they're shining light in the darkness or anything. They're, they're folks. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate in my life that I've known, got any number of, of gay people as friends, as co-workers, as acquaintances. So it wasn't a hard reach, you know, to just get it settled in my mind. How am I going to do this? And then you just do it. And it was, you know, as I say, it wasn't a hard reach. Mm -hmm. It was just presenting them matter-of-factly, the way that we do with characters that we want to follow and learn about. So they're, they're very matter-of-factly, and they've obviously been around for a while for each other and everything. And then you throw them into a situation that either tests that or strengthens their bond, something like that. So that, that became the story. The actual, you know, fantastic elements of the story are, you know, will not surprise anyone who's read a lot of sword and sorcery. So that, you know, we're in our comfort zone in that. Well, in that there was respect. one point. I, I won't spoil yeah. anything because we got to no, assume please, people no. haven't necessarily read it. But there was definitely please, yeah. this one surprise uh, involving um, some literature you maybe remember. Well, we'll talk about it later. But I, I, I remember yeah, yeah. there was a moment that made me kind of pull my head back and go, whoa. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Uh, oh, good. And, I did my so, job. I did my job. Good. Good. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and to what you were saying a moment ago, you know, yeah, absolutely. The two characters, like, it's interesting to have it be sort of the opposite of how people like to set up uh, male and female duos of like, you know, oh, maybe there's going to be some sexual tension. Will they, won't they? And it's like, no, right. they won't. No, they but won't. But that's okay, because then we can think about other stuff. <laughs> and neither go. of them, you know, is their sexuality the first, second, or even third thing that I was thinking about while I was reading the story. But it informs who they are, and it presents a fun dynamic where, you know, one was trying to set the other one up at the bar, like as a friendly thing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it all just mm -hmm. kind of plays yeah. a bit differently, you know. So, yeah, it's uh, I thought you handled that aspect very well. Thank you. Yeah. I don't recall having any notes on it, you know. Yeah, thank you. And it is a different aspect, and that what makes them interesting characters is that mm -hmm. there's not that romantic or sexual tension between them, which we've seen a lot of that, and that's fun. But with these two, it's a different dynamic. Well, yeah, in a way, it kind of, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I really like them. I ended up really liking these characters. <laughs> well, I'm glad because, I mean, you know, it's no secret. You're welcome back. I would love to read another story with this duo because there's a lot going on with them. And, you know, as, as you were saying, like part of what's kind of interesting about taking sexual tension like firmly off the table mm -hmm. is it then leaves you to ask, OK, well, what else is going on? Right. You know, what is what is going to be uh, points of contention with these two? Right. And without exactly. explaining anything like in the story. You know, I liked how you explored uh, issues of trust. Like, they obviously trust each other with their lives. Yeah. But, you know, not telling everything to each other. And uh, that comes through in the story in a way that I found very entertaining. And, and, and also kind of interesting what it suggested. Like, they're there for each other, but, you know, dot, dot, mm -hmm. dot. Let's, let's see how that plays out. Right. See, and that's the kind of stuff that gives me ideas for a future story. Um, If I start with that, with their relationship, and, you know, anybody who's 
grown to adulthood, and, uh, you know, knows how wacky and, and strange some relationships can be, and some of them are wonderful. But it'd be interesting to see them go through some of that. I'd like to write more about them. I, I like them, you know. Oh, cool. Well, you know, fingers crossed yeah. that lots of people love the magazine. Lots of people get copies for friends and sign up for the mailing list. Listener, I'm giving you that hard sell here. Yeah, no, I, I, hope, I hope people like them. Yeah, I, I hope we get to uh, successfully crowdfund uh, issues one and two and, and, and get another story and get some more art with them. Good. That was fun, too, eh? Uh, I'm really proud that we got individual illustrations for everybody's uh, stories, original works. Yeah. Uh, yours yours yeah. by Simon Underwood there. Yeah. Yeah, I like what he did. Yeah, okay. So, all right. Well, I feel like we discussed the story pretty well for now. I mean, you know, you and I could always go longer. We know this, but you know. Yeah. Now, David, you and I had had the good fortune to, uh, if I can be so bold, say, uh, got along well uh, in our in our long interview. I certainly so, think so, yes. I, I think so, indeed. <laughs> so, I wasn't some, like, completely random weirdo when I approached you, but... Uh-huh. Nonetheless, you know, I was a guy you had just met, and all us writers have had a lot of experience with being asked to do something for exposure. Oh, it'll be great. It'll get you out there. Uh, You know, people die of exposure, et cetera. (laughs) So I I was uh, very grateful, uh, even just on that premise, uh, never mind the fact that I was getting someone with your experience Mm. on board, which is very Mm. gratifying. You know, I was just some guy, and I was like, hey, do you want to do a story for a a new magazine? You know, issue zero, the test issue. Yeah. And you were were down. So I'm I'm curious, you know, uh, aside from maybe uh, us getting along on the interview there, what was it, you know, because I think you, you're not heavily active on the Whetstone Tavern, but I think you saw at least some of the discussions around New Edge Sword and Sorcery, the sort of ideas uh, that were getting chucked mm-hmm. around. And of course, you and I talked about it a bit. Mm-hmm. What was it about sort of, well, New Edge Sword and Sorcery, the idea and the magazine that's expressing that idea that got you excited? I think the idea that it's new, you know, if I were involved in it in my little corner, you know, of telling a story, I could push against the barriers a little bit kick a few bricks out of the wall mm-hmm. to be there on the on the ground floor at the very beginning is very tempting too you know i like the idea i i like this idea of the new edge yeah. of expanding sword and sorcery because this is kind of like my genre i've written more in this genre than probably anything else that i've written i like it very much and i feel strongly that it can do we can go many directions with different characters in it and mm. you know m- maybe i can really assist in some way to get this thing going that's I like that idea. How else shall I put it? It's, I guess, I want to say I've always been on the side of the underdog. I don't see the, I don't see the magazine as being an underdog. But I mean, I it maybe, is. It's brand new. <laughs> I, I guess maybe, maybe in a way, you know, this is, you know, this is the first time people are really doing stuff like this. It's going to help define the new edge. Yeah. And I know people have been kicking around the edges of it for a while. I'm sure I have in a way, you know, I mean. The, the well, I, I have of, said, I think it kind of covers in some way stuff that a lot of people have been nibbling at from their own corners, but it's, I, like it and I think it's handy to kind of throw up a banner. Yeah, I'm talking more about the idea in the magazine here, but, you know, the magazine expresses sure. that idea. I think it's handy to throw up kind of a banner and be like, hey, you know, why don't we kind of all like get under this banner or those who want to, you know, it's optional, obviously. Right. And kind of like collaborate and help each other out and rising tide lifts all ships and all that good stuff, you know? I feel like there's a lot of stuff I see where a lot of authors who are maybe all working in the same genre and all have similar desires for like where they'd like to see it go sure. are all kind of, well, they're all off in their own little corners on their own, you know, or there were a couple of them are talking, but not all of them are talking. Mm-hmm. And even the simple things like figuring out how to better promote yourself online. I watch people each individually reinventing those wheels yeah. uh, rather than perhaps sharing results with each other. You know, I was just talking to Kevin Beckett, who has been our marvelous social media volunteer running our Instagram and mm-hmm. our Twitter and we were just talking the other day, you know, he was he was telling me some interesting developments and in what he's been learning while doing that. And I said, hey, you know, this feels like my podcast sense is going, you know, why don't, why don't you take notes? And then eventually when we're, we're far enough down the line to make it interesting, 
why don't we do an episode talking about everything you've learned on that so the other mm-hmm. authors in general, but I mean, I guess I'm thinking sword sorcery authors, can learn from that and save them having to repeat all the experiments and so on. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm already taking notes. This is great. Okay. So I just thought like, oh, wonderful, you know, there's so many different aspects of this. And like the inclusion thing gets a lot of discussion and I'm glad because that's important. But I don't like the idea of it necessarily eclipsing everything else, such as sharing knowledge, lifting each other up. And you were talking about, you know, pushing the boundaries. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do that. And I, I got to say, David, I really hope we get to do that other story with you um, and a story with you for many reasons. But one of them yeah. is uh, so that I can further highlight and underline with you and all the authors I, I hope to work with again um, and new ones I want to bring in. It'll be a time to really do the things you've always wanted to do. You know, any idea that you think is like too wild, like let's talk about it. That's a good way to put it. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of a couple of things. Back in the day, I was too young to really pay much attention um, at the time. But when Harlan Ellison did Dangerous Visions mm. and put the word out to all these authors, what's the story you've written that nobody would publish? Because it was too avant-garde or it pushed boundaries in some way, whatever it might be. And you got a couple of good anthologies out of that. You know, So you're working with bright, talented people who want to do interesting stuff shoot turn them loose yeah you know because I'm, I'm so you know as we as you and i speak on uh, august 29th 2022 mm-hmm. i i am both extremely proud of what is currently at roughly the 90 percent mark <laughs> for the issue we're getting mm-hmm. close i'm optimistic hopefully i won't be setting myself up to look like a fool when i say i think we'll make our goal of releasing you know somewhere in september hopefully around the middle i'm so proud of what i can already see good and yet the same at the same time of course I'm, I'm, all, I'm already starting to be at that place where i'm thinking about what i've learned and what i could do differently going forward to build on this uh mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just and i mean i'm so excited to get to, to that and then definitely a big part of it is going to be working with the authors to all those ideas, on those dangerous visions, mm-hmm. finding where that takes us while still being recognizable as sword and sorcery, because, you know, this is one of my, my things. I, I bang the drum a lot, but I think when you even think about literally a sword, right? Yeah. What is a stronger sword? One that is rigid and inflexible or one like a extremely well-crafted katana or something that can bend yeah. fantastically, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I just think you, the sword sorcery can be, and, and certainly its greatest strength, I would argue, is it's, it's amazing flexibility because... You know, it's almost like you can kind of set up these sort of posts, like a big wild wrestling ring, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, okay, outsider protagonists over here, you know, Lovecraftian kind of horror over here, mm-hmm. you know, personal motivations rather than heroic necessarily over here. And you have those posts and they kind of mark boundaries. But what runs between those posts if we're talking about a wrestling ring? Super elastic mm-hmm. rope <laughs> that you can just like push yeah. all the way out and yeah. jump off and do wild moves. You know, I I love it. I love it, and I and I, and I hope we can all have fun bending that rope a lot to <laughs> further issues. One of the things I'm working on now, and it's taken me forever. Mm. Bob McLean at Paul Piero Press. He no longer publishes fiction, and that makes mm. us all very sad because he published a lot of stuff that I wrote that was kind of mm. off the beaten track, and I couldn't find agents for some of this stuff. And he published it, you know, and I mean, it's good work, but it just didn't yeah. quite fit the mainstream. But one of the things he suggested was a book on writing sword and sorcery fiction. Right. And he asked me if I'd be interested in doing that. I might have mentioned this before. Yeah, but please, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah I haven't been talking about it a lot because I don't want to drop it as a surprise or anything, but it's taking me, it's building slowly because I'm doing a lot of reading mm. and then commenting on, on stories that I like and why I like them. But it basically starts out with what sword and sorcery fiction is and what it isn't. It isn't, for instance, heroic fantasy fiction. You know, it's, it's a different little set of values there that are in there. So I talk about what it is and kind of like where it came from. There's a brief introduction. We go back to Howard and I briefly 
helpful and all that stuff. But the main part of the book is that I'm reading fiction written by a lot of writers today. Seth Lindbergh and Joe Bonadonna and Skylar Hernstrom and all these people. I'm reading their fiction and I'm using them as examples for this is, this is really good. Look at this writing. See how good it is for this reason or for that reason. Um, the different elements that go into building the, building the story. The very beginning, when I introduce everything, this sounds a little portentous or portentous, but ah. the opening the opening line is, this is the oldest story that we have. There is a force, and we must confront it. And it could be a giant bear in the cave. It could be <laughs> an angry god sending a flood. It could be your spouse when he or she is pissed off. <laughs> it could be, you know, the gangsters running the town. It could be anything, but there's something going on and we have to deal with it. And when we, in our kind of fiction, personify that as a sorcerer or something demonic or something ageless or whatever, now we're getting into the realm where, where it's touching bone and it's touching nerve and it's, it's, it can feel archaic and very honest and kind of primitive. And we know it in our bones, you know, what's going on. So when it's done right, that's what we get with sword and sorcery. We can layer it however we want. It can be lighthearted. It can be, you know, whatever direction you want. But the core of it is that thing right there, which can be kind of horrifying. Some of the best stories, it wakes you up and it becomes existential. It's like, oh, God, I looked into the abyss, you know. Now what? Um, it looked <laughs> back, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think of... Um... My my probably my favorite Conan story, People of the Black Circle, and you have that scene where yeah. uh, the master is trying to break down Devi Yasmina yeah. by essentially hurtling her back through the entire history of womankind. Yeah. And like what a what a wild attack on her ego, you know, and, and dark oh, magic yeah. and all that stuff, you know, to the bone, as you say. Exactly. I actually quoted that so I don't know if you I wrote this this book a few years ago called Robert E. Howard, a literary biography. And I went through his work, like one writer looking over the shoulder of another writer, kind of like review what he did and how he did it and why it's so good. And I quoted that scene because it's so powerful and he, he would do stuff like that, you know, not infrequently. And it gets right down. He he was, he he was a master of that. I think he went there in his dreams or something. (laughs) Yeah. He'd go back and go right down to the bone there. So, yeah. Oh, marvelous! Well, we're doing it again. It's twenty, but twenty-four minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to be fair. To, I'm sorry. I no, no, I'm sorry. Like I, I knew it would happen. We, <laughs> that's why I set it up at the beginning. It's all good, but I want to be fair to the other writers. <laughs> well, cut, so cut. Uh, we'll get on to them. But you can cut some of me out. I know people editors love to cut out the my stuff. So, so go ahead. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit. It was all very interesting, and that's the problem, oh, sure. right? It's not if you were just so. waffling. I'd be like, ah, I'll cut out a bunch of this. But uh, everything you have to say, David, I find very interesting, and uh, lots Thank of other you. people do yeah. too. So. You know, are we lucky to have you in the magazine? Uh, All right, uh, man. Uh, I'm going to move on now, but thank you so much for your time and for your story. Appreciate it. Okay. No, I appreciate the opportunity to be part of it. And I sincerely mean that. I really do. So, I appreciate okay. it, man. All right. Take care. Good luck, man. <laughs> oh, man. Did you hear the part where I was like, maybe mid-September? Hilarious. In case you don't know, the magazine came out on precisely the final day of the month. And even then, it probably would have been more like October 1st or 2nd or something, if not for the heroic last-minute efforts of our proofreader, Jordan Douglas-Smith. Thank you so much, Jordan. 
And this wasn't because anybody was being lazy or clownish. Far from it. I continue now it's been about uh, four days <laughs> when I'm saying this. Four days since it came out. I just, oh, I'm so impressed by the work everybody put in. And frankly, I even impressed myself a little bit. I was kind of surprised at what I was able to do when I really had to do it. But before I get too choked up at my own bravery, let's remember this is about talking to the authors of the magazine and the behind the scenes is next time. So without further ado, I would like to get to our final mini interview. This one with author TK Rex. We're rotating the globe a little further over to the West Coast as TK Rex writes science fiction and fantasy in San Francisco. Recently, she attended the Clarion Writers Workshop in San Diego and has had short fiction published in Strange Horizons, The Molotov Cocktail, and Luna Station Quarterly. She is also the only person I reached out to who I didn't already know from the Whetstone Tavern Discord or interviewing them on this podcast. All right, let's hear what she has to say. And here I am with Taya. Hello. Hi. Nice to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Uh, you are fitting somewhere in the daisy chain of authors we're enjoying today. I think fun number five, who knows? Future Oliver can sort that out. It's his problem. I like giving him things to deal with. Uh, okay, so I loved your story. And of course, I am hoping and feeling strongly that others may love it too, hence it putting in the magazine. Could you tell listeners, under the assumption they have not yet read it, what it was that kind of got you like thinking, okay, this is the thing. Like, what was the image? What was the theme? What was the starting point that made you go, yeah, I got a story here? And and maybe, you know, some other stuff that kind of carried you through to the uh, end of, of writing it. Okay, so this story was a bunch of different things coming together into one thing. So I would say like the first kernel of it was actually <laughs> when you reached out to me on twitter and were like would you want to write another sword and sorcery story because <laughs> oh, i was yeah. i'd never written sword and sorcery before i wrote um the one that you read in queer blades my favorite shape at all of all and that was like my first sword and sorcery story and it was a total experiment for me and it was outside my comfort zone so I never really like thought that hard about writing any more of it until you messaged me <laughs> I totally want to do this, but I don't know what it's going to be yet. But I was about, I was like at Clarion, I think, when you messaged me with the um, writer's workshop in San Diego. And so I figured one of my stories while I was at Clarion was going to be the sword and sorcery story for you. And so oh. I guess like week four, I, I must have written it in week, I, wrote, I think I wrote most of it in week three. And then I finished it for week five and our instructor that week was Ted Chang, which is a really interesting combination <laughs> to have like Ted Chang critiquing my sword and my weird ecology sword and sorcery story. <laughs> yeah, for those so who aren't familiar, could you tell us a brief blurb of why that's amazing? Uh, why Ted Chang is an, an, an oddball match? So Ted Chang writes, he's he's known as a writer of science fiction short stories. So he wrote the um, short story that the film Arrival was based on. So very sci-fi. And I love sci-fi. I write sci-fi too. That's kind of my like main dig is sci-fi. He tends to write like very meticulously crafted, very clever, intelligent science fiction short stories that are like widely regarded as just sort of brilliant and then i came in here with like a unicorn <laughs> <laughs> but, 
yeah, it, it was really interesting because some of his feedback was like, well, this seems like it's trying to do science stuff in a genre that's not really known for science stuff. So what's with that? And part for me, the thing that I think was, this also gets to like the other question about New Edge. Mm. For me, like the interesting part of writing in the genre this time around was kind of pushing those boundaries and seeing if I could get away with writing a secretly science fiction story wrapped up in certain sorcery and um, gives you a little bit of like science communication in there if I can get away with it. Um, <laughs> fun and like genre-y. <laughs> and one of the things that he and I talked about around this story in particular, because one of the things he brought up was like, you mentioned this word ecosystem and and you, you didn't really see words like that in sword and sorcery because they didn't even exist really in the popular lexicon until like the 60s and the, it's very much like a, a scientific term and one of my other classmates uh not all of us brought up the excellent point that like even though the word hasn't been coined wasn't coined until the 1960s the concept of ecology is is inherently an indigenous concept. It goes all the way back as long as we've had language, basically. We've we've understood ecology. And so I went ahead and I think kept the word in there. Um, <laughs> and that was a big part of the inspiration. The other parts of it were that I was in San Diego at the time I wrote it at uh, the Clarion UCSD workshop. And so this is the one story from my time there that actually takes place there as well, because the whole landscape he's going from over the course of the story, he goes from like the beach that was actually like Black's Beach down the cliffs uh, just outside of the campus and then up the cliffs and then through the, what would have been there before the campus was there. And then there's actually a eucalyptus grove on campus. And so I did a lot of my writing in that eucalyptus grove because it was just very peaceful, despite being like a monoculture of invasive species, it was a very peaceful place to write. So <laughs> it was a big inspiration. And then of course, the, the last two pieces are The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle, which I flipped through the opening of. It's one of my favorite books of all time to get like some inspiration for tone. And the song that a friend of my mom's, there's a band called Phoenix. It was like the 80s. They were friends with my mom and she had this album and she played it all the time when I was growing up. And it's this kind of like rock anthem called The Black Unicorn under the artist's name at the time was Heather Alexander. They've had a, a change of name since then, but hmm. it's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> like a yeah, bunch you looked me to it. I really dug it. Yeah, that was, that was a lot. That was a lot. Sorry. <laughs> Well, it's okay. No, I always like to get more insight on why people write their stories. You know, whenever I read a book and there's maybe like a, you know, interview with the author or essay kind of thing at the back being like, you know, where did the list come from? I'm delighted. It's one of the 105 reasons I like Hervonica because he always opens his books with his little essays being like, anyway, here's where all this bullshit came from. Enjoy my doodle of an asshole that I did with a marker. Yeah. <laughs> I always love to know more. <laughs> love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's funny, we, you and I were talking about this just before hit record, you know, the, and it's a big part of the genre. Anyone who's already into it knows this. There's an essay on it by Brian Murphy in the issue. And Bryn Hammond, I thought, spoke to it beautifully in her answer uh, to my questions in this whole mishmash interview stitched together I'm doing of the outsider in Sword and Sorcery. 
and you are the outsider. Outsider. And uh, <laughs> I always imagine like Fishman calling it out from the old uh, Innsmouth tale, uh, you know, in this issue. Uh, but I got to say, you know, it was a bit of a science experiment. I wasn't sure how it would go. As you may recall, I was sort of possibly too much because I was feeling a little nervous. You know, when I spoke to you on the phone, we were doing developmental edits. I was like, if you want to pull the ripcord, run away screaming, go for it. Uh, I don't want to bully you. I don't want to, you know, smother your voice as an author and like destroy your themes and what you're trying to do. Just trying to like shove in some swords or whatever. But um, I think I ultimately, I really enjoyed that process. I hope you did too, uh, where we worked together to try and find a way to preserve your narrative as I feel we did, preserve your voice as I feel we did. But kind of guide the story to be kind of more in the mold of a, of a the kind of weird mythic edge of sword and sorcery you know and uh i i really like the results i hope you do too <laughs> yeah what am i doing here i'm like looking for reassurance like tell me i'm pretty but <laughs> but i don't know i'm just looking through the whole thing as we navigate from uh, your inspiration, which, oh, before we get to the second question, it was very funny with the whole environmental angle and you emailed me early on being like, okay, here's my first draft. It's got like, I believe you said, hefty environmental content. I hope you're okay with that. And if like my life was a TV show that was like sort of ham-fisted in its symbolism, it would have just like smash cut to the framed piece of newspaper because I'm an only child listener. So this happens. My mother has on the wall in our spare room at uh, my house where I grew up in of a piece of newspaper of like seven-year-old Oliver making the local news because I bullied my dad into helping me pick up all the recycling from my street and bring it to the nearest depot because I was too impatient to wait for amalgamation of my small village into the bigger nearby city to bring us recycling services. So when you, so that just sets the tone to give you an idea when you were like, hefty environmental content, is that okay? And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm aligned with that. Okay, so yeah, lo- lovely. Thank you for uh, giving some more insight on the inspiration thing. Oh, and oh, one other thing before I move on. You gave away this on public on Twitter, so I think it's kosher to mention that I didn't know this until like we'd already gone to the point of the draft being approved. But apparently, there's like a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing going on here uh, with a co-authored by you and your mother, uh, something like that. Oh yeah, so that was the other. There were a lot of things that came. There were a lot of threads that came into the story. Um, that was the one I somehow uh, left out. Yeah, absolutely. It was like the most important thing. So it actually, I met, I mentioned my favorite shape of all, which is a story I had in the Queer Blades anthology. Um, and that one actually takes place in this, I wrote them in the same universe. I was just like, I have a sword and sorcery universe already. We'll, we'll just use them. <laughs> and those are, those are the two now that are sword and sorcery in that universe. And they both take place about a thousand years in the past of the rest of the stories. And the rest of the stories are more like, I guess, high fantasy. I don't, they're not really high fantasy. They're definitely secondary world fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is very closely based on on California, since that's where um, I live, and my mom lives over in Berkeley, and we're co-writing these together. So, the the first story that was published and that I wrote in this series was my story, Gentle Dragon Fires, which was in Strange Horizons in January, I think, mm-hmm. and she. I was writing that story and at a certain point I was like, I should get more specific on the ritual and the song that's in this story. And my mom is over here, literally a poet and the founder of the Society for Ritual Arts. And so I was like, I should should get my mom in this. And so she like loved it and helped me finish that story. And so we published it together and she was like, I want to write in this world too. It's so cool. And I was like, awesome. We should write in it together. And now we have like, apparently she just counted 19 stories all set in this world at different time periods. <laughs> and definitely going to be a collection. Uh, a lot of these stories are not finished yet, but we 
we are with 19 i imagine it's gonna yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's really exciting it's all based on this common setting which we call like the fault lands and it is essentially mostly northern california this one is of course southern california but it's not california it's just like very very inspired by california we always have this kind of thought of like you know why is all this fantasy defaulting to like this generic european setting when like we have we've never even really i've been to paris like once like i don't even know <laughs> let's write yeah. a fantasy story where where we live and so it also centers around the bulk of that of our stories in that world center around more like a gold rush era where the big themes are like ecological change and and dealing with a environmental crisis that's a much more like what we have today in California in the modern era. Cool. Well, I look forward to being able to read more of those stories and listener in case you're curious like Queer Blades Tale. Queer Blades is available uh, for free, the first uh, issue of the anthology. So if you want to go check that out, just give it a Google. That's what made me reach out. So, you know, I obviously endorse the story. Yeah, okay. So let's move on to the other question, which maybe I think I'm very curious to hear what you have to say, because everyone else in the magazine is essentially started off already as like a sword and sorcery, like head, like they knew the genre, they had all written stories in it. And uh, yeah, I think not... David as much, but certainly the other authors uh, had all had a presence at one point or another on the Whetstone uh, Discord Tavern, where the like thunderous discourse uh, erupted back in the spring that led to the reemergence of the term, and ultimately me deciding to do this magazine. Mm-hmm. So they all had like the backstory essentially, <laughs> uh, and then I reached out to you and was like, "Hey, there's this thing. It's called Sword and Sorcery. Uh, you've only done one story, and it was kind of more high fantasy. But I think if you want to work with me, we can treat this like a cool writing exercise. Uh, anyway, I'm building on that tradition. There's a whole new thing on top of it. Like, here's some more stuff you got to learn. <laughs> uh, which uh, again, you can tell I'm making fun of myself because it felt like it felt a little outrageous, but I, I also felt it was worth doing. What? Was it? Because it was very kind of you to, to agree and be like, yeah, okay, I'll take a chance on you, guy I don't know. Like, I also had prior relationships with all the other authors, uh, to one degree or another. Um, guy I don't know, for a magazine that's brand new, in genre I'm not super familiar with, <laughs> that's unpaid, frankly. Like, so I thought that was very, very cool of you, and I would love to know what it was, and say this for the listener, not for my ego, what was it about New Edge Sword and Sorcery, as I explained it to you, and New Edge Sword and Sorcery, the magazine, that made you go, yeah, okay, yeah, this sounds good, I want to do this? Yeah. So, oh, well, firstly, it just was like really happy timing that I was at a writing workshop. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, why not? Like, this could be my, I, I, I this is a great starting point as good as any, right? <laughs> so that was really convenient. The other thing, though, was that like, I, I did have a lot of fun writing that other story, my favorite shape of all. And I thought this one might be fun too. And it was, although in some ways it's a much shorter story. This one's a much shorter story, but it in some ways harder, but in, yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I like what you were saying about just kind of wanting to push, push the boundaries of the genre a little bit and like modernize it a little bit and make it more inclusive. I think for me, like being inclusive is probably the biggest thing. I mean, just as a general principle, I mean, my story is like about the importance of diversity in a lot of ways. And I write about that a lot. And I think about that a lot too, um, as like a evolutionary biology nerd, like it's, it's just this whole running theme through like every level of like, I, I enjoy having diverse friends, you know, like just like, 
general. And I feel like it's very important for keeping the genre fresh and interesting and, and including people and giving people a place to tell their versions of these stories. And so often you find that there's genres that like I don't know you hear things around the internet they're like oh well that genre is so played and old and boring but then when like a new group comes into it and makes it their own it becomes interesting again so it's good for the genre it's good for everybody and it's good for us to like be able to hear diverse new perspectives and takes on the classics and and whole new ideas within these things I, I love the iteration of it I love the whole reason I love speculative fiction is because I just am really curious and want like different new cool takes on stuff. And my favorite, favorite thing is when you get like a scenario in, in speculative fiction, science fiction or fantasy that like is just so poignant or like an emotion that like you would not find anywhere else. Like, you can have these kinds of like scenarios where it's like, wow, I just never thought there was a very specific emotion for that thing that could never exist in real life, you know? And that's like one of my favorite, favorite things about the genre. Awesome. And I even what a wonderful answer. I really hope that, you know, we, people love issue zero and we get to crowdfund issue one and two and, and bring you back. And maybe we can see, you know, if we can try and find that sweet spot of, of evoking something new uh, in listeners, pardon me, in readers, I'm in podcast mode. Uh, yeah, I would really love that. Okay, well, I mean, I think I think at some point we're going to have to have you back on the podcast to do a full-fledged interview. I feel like that'd be pretty fun. But yeah. alas, I've got to keep the timeline tight so we can stitch together uh, all these little mini-interviews. So, yeah, is there anything else you want to say just before we, we hop off, or is this uh, feeling pretty good to you? Yeah, I think we've covered everything, pretty much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure working on this story with you, and I'm really psyched to have it be something that people can see really soon. So thanks. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Dad, and uh, I will talk to you again soon. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> all right, and there you have it, folks. All of the authors of all of the original tales in New Edge Sword and Sorcery Magazine issue zero out now. Links in the show notes, also on the front page of New Edge Sword and Sorcery. Com. Also, you can search for it on Amazon.com or .ca. Any of the Amazon sites uh, around the world should have it for the softcover and hardcover. Yes, hardcover editions of the magazine. The EPUB slash PDF is free, which Amazon won't let you do. So that's on payhip.com. But yeah, like I said, you can find that link pretty easy through the show notes of the website. But yeah, free electronically. All right, please join me next episode in one week, maybe two, we'll find out. But join me next episode for the behind the scenes on how the magazine came to be, including like, why did I do the magazine? How does it relate to the podcast and the novel? Don't worry, that hasn't been forgotten. What were some of the nuts and bolts of making it? And what are the plans for the future? So I'm Writing a Novel features original intro and outro music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing. That's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it or checking out any of the other ways you can support the show by heading to so I'm writing a novel.com slash support the show, which has things like links to our Patreon, Coffee, and PayPal. Thanks for hanging out with me and all these lovely writers, and I'll see you soon. 